Hey everyone, how you doing? This is Amon Green, Green Bay Packers all-time leading rusher, and you're listening to The Average Cheese, hosted by Dell and Todd, two lifelong Packer fans talking about their favorite team, the 13-time champion, Green Bay Packers. Go Pack Go! Trouble. It's going to get there. He turned 32 yesterday. Does he have a vintage moment in it? In the end zone, it is caught for the win. Welcome to episode 115 of the Average Cheese Podcast. I'm Dale Lobo. The whole team is here tonight for episode 115. Thanks to Rhonda and the folks at RNM Management. Thanks to Dwight at ddgcustoms.com. And thanks to Dan and the folks at Bob Anderson Builders. Dwight is dropping off some shirts for me today. From his custom warehouse, he made me some for our wrestling. We qualified a girl for the state wrestling tournament. So he is dropping those shirts off tonight at some point. So thanks, Dwight. Appreciate you. Peter, you look a little tired, man. We kept you up late tonight. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing I'm doing well. Thank you. Awesome. Todd, good to see you again. How are you? Yeah, likewise. Well, I got to tell you this. Before Peter does episode 15, and I think I know who it is. I got a direct message from Nick Collins. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> the other day. And I sent it to Peter. I asked him about it because I figured there's no way Nick Collins is actually DMing us. Right. Like I figured it was some kind of spam or someone hacked into his Twitter or something like that. I was hoping I had fingers crossed. It was really him. And he wanted to talk to us. Unfortunately, it was not. Shit. That's what I said. <laughs> I sent him a message back right away. I'm like, hey, this is probably not you. But if you are willing to come on the Average Cheese podcast, we'd love to have you on anytime. I hope he does. Nick, if you're listening, we'll have you anytime. You let us know. All right, Peter, take it away. There weren't many choices. The first one that came to my mind was a guy that played in the 1950s for the Packers and wore number 15 for one year. And it's kind of apt that I should mention this guy. The guy's name was Dick Athlis. And he wrestled. Yeah. He a professional professional wrestler under the name of Dick the Bruiser. So, and he wore so 15? He wore 15 for one year. Yeah, he That's played bizarre. on the offensive and defensive line. And, but it's not him, obviously. It can only be one guy. Brian Bartlett Star. Bart Star. And it's quite difficult to talk about Bart Star because just about everything we could talk about, everybody knows. The Packers' 17th round draft pick in 1956. Just think of that, 17th round. Draft pick in 1956 out of Alabama. Didn't jump to immediate fame, you know, shared time at quarterback with the likes of Babe Perilli and Lamar McCann and those guys, Joe Francis, before winning the starting job really in 1960. 1960 was about the start of that Packers dynasty. Got to the championship game that year, unfortunately losing to the Eagles. But then they went on to win the five. NFL championships and the first two Super Bowls, as we know, and Bart Starr winning the MVP of those two Super Bowls. But I guess when you think of Bart Starr, you, th- you kind of think of the ideal quarterback for that Packers team, the ideal personality. But I also remember an interview I saw with Zeke Bratkowski, who was the backup for that in that Packers team, backup quarterback in that Packers team for a lot of that period in which Bart Starr was the starter. And, and he said that, 
you know, everybody looked at Bart and thought he was this soft, quiet, well-spoken guy, gentleman. He was, and, and he was all of those things. But of course, he called his own plays, and he said, you know, on third and one and fourth and one, Bart was daring. You know, he'd often run play actions on third and one and fourth and one and throw the ball long. Hmm. Yeah, and you kind of don't, you don't think of that, but. Yeah, but when you're doing it from play action, when you're doing it with, with that running game that they had with Taylor and Horning and everybody expecting them to run the sweep, et cetera, et cetera, you're doing it as a surprise weapon. And Zeke Bratkowski, I'm trying to quote his words. He said, you know, Bart was a super gentleman, but on the football field, he'd tear your heart out and show it to you. And that's the kind of play caller, of course, calling his own plays. That's the kind of play caller that, that Bart Starr was. We know him as that great player from 56 to 71, but, of course, went on to coach the Packers. Not such a great time as as Packers coach, although probably by the time he got fired at the end of the 83 season when they had another eight and eight year, he was probably a far better coach at the point that they fired him than at the point when he got the job in 75. What else can we say about Bart Starr? Obviously, Pro Football Hall of Famer, Packer Hall of Famer, All Pro, Pro Bowler. And one of those guys, another one of those guys from that period of time that we've talked about on each of these that just personified the Packers and continued to do that for the re- for the rest of his life, came back frequently to Green Bay with his wife, Cherry. And, you know, it was just one of those guys. You never hear of anybody having a bad word to say about him. You know, the, the gentleman had time for everybody and, and all and all that great great stuff. And what else can you say about number 15? Every time you see a number 15, you think of Bart Starr. When I think about him, I think back to my childhood. I think that was the first name I knew. When I was, name? Like, oh, really? Yeah. Like, it probably came from my grandfather, but it, I, I was probably running around with a Bart Starr 15 jersey or pajamas or some shit. But I just remember that was he, – he was like the first name, Packer name that I actually knew. And that was, you know, early 70s. Peter, you said he was a 17th round draft pick. Now you're the draft guy. So the re- what would be the reason that Bart Starr fell all the way to the 17th round? One of the reasons amongst many, I'm sure, was that he, he hurt his back in college. Never really, although he played all those years for the Packers. I don't think he ever necessarily there was always a question mark about about his back he he missed nearly the whole of his junior year at Alabama because of it and so I suspect that you know like, like today but back back in those days when there was less scouting and what and whatever else that goes on today if a team would get a rumor of, of of a substantial injury like that potentially was or could have been I think that's like like more likely to have put teams off back then because they didn't have the opportunity to get to get the guy medically checked out and all of that kind of thing like they do today. So I would imagine that that back injury was one of the predominant reasons. Okay, so we have questions from friends, and this is from a long time ago, Chris and Lil Rob. So they basically had the same question, so I will pose it to both of you. Does the Brady retirement make Rodgers' trade value more interesting or less? I mean, um, to be honest, I, I'm struggling to find the... The correlation between the two? Yeah, the correlation or the connection between all that. I And I guess my thought is, if I'm not really making that connection, I, I don't feel as though there is any any impact on it whatsoever. I don't think the impact is direct. I guess the only thing, the degrees of separation from Brady retiring... 
making it potentially more likely that Rogers doesn't retire this this year, and therefore a team slightly more likely to trade for a player that they know that is going to play in 2023. That's a bit of a leap, though, I think. I'm, I'm like Todd. I, I don't think that there's... I don't think it, it has a huge impact on his on his trade value. What it does do is open up another team in Tampa Bay that's looking for a starter. But then if you look at that and you might say, well, the Packers probably are unlikely to trade to an NFC team anyway, or certainly very unlikely. They, there may be one or two that they would, but like I say, potentially opens up an extra slot. I think there's only a couple of teams that are in the running for Rodgers anyway. No, it probably doesn't change his trade value. My thoughts are exactly what you said before, Peter. I think the one thing it does guarantee is that Aaron Rodgers will not retire. And I've said that on Twitter, and I've said it here on this show too. Aaron Rodgers is not going to retire in the same year Tom Brady does. That zero chance in my mind. They won't share the Hall of Fame stage. Exactly. Exactly right. That's exactly why. And they're both first ballot guys, so they're both going in whenever they can get in. A couple of slices before we move on to some Packer stuff. This is a kind of an interesting one, and I'm interested to hear your thoughts on this. So Eric Bieniemy, offensive coordinator of Super Bowl champion Kansas City Chiefs, moving to Washington, maybe an uptick in his role. He will be the assistant head coach, if I read this right, and the offensive coordinator. National people who are saying that that is a lateral move. Todd, what are your thoughts on Eric Bieniemy going to Washington? Man, I thought he was going to – he's definitely – ready to be an NFL head coach. Guess there weren't any more positions out there. I don't know. Huge upgrade for the Skins, for Redskins, for the Commanders. <laughs> They're still the Redskins. They couldn't have lucked out any better than that. Holy cow. I think it's a huge upgrade for the Commanders. Big- yeah, I agree with that. And, and and there can only be one reason for it, is to get out of the shadow and in inverted commas of, An- of Andy Reid being, getting all of the plaudits for the play calling and et cetera in, in Kansas City. You know, without that, it's clear that the enemy would have had a head coaching job, in my view, somewhere else be- long before now. So I think that can only be, that can be the only reason for it. And as Todd says, it's a huge bonus for the commanders and going to a team that's got a defensive head coach in Ron Rivera, defensive-minded head coach in Ron Rivera, defensive player, previous defensive coordinator. I think that that can only help Eric Bieniemy's case for a head coaching job a year from now, assuming that the commanders have a half decent 2023. Or does it mean that Eric Bieniemy thinks he's going to be the heir apparent to Ron Rivera? It's I funny think you he, say that because I was I was thinking the same thing, kind of. Then he wouldn't have to interview. And I All agree. Right. Like you look at Aaron Rodgers, Pat Mahomes, those guys. When you are the offensive coordinator. Plus, he's under Andy Reid. But he also has Patrick Mahomes as his quarterback. You don't get the credit you may deserve because you are the offensive coordinator of Patrick Mahomes, who is a great, great player. And I think that he is hurt by that and being under Andy Reid. Now he gets out of their shadows. He's going to a team of who knows going to play quarterback for them. So, right? So if he does something amazing with them, that either uplifts him to a job in another town or he takes over at some point for Ron Rivera? Because Ron Rivera had cancer, didn't he? Do you want to talk about the franchise tag thing? Because nothing's really happened with that. Certainly nothing's going to happen in terms of tagging. As far as the Packers are concerned, they're not going to use the franchise tag or the transition tag this year. I guess the the, the main piece of interest, I think, for the NFL generally is what happens to 
Lamar Jackson, uh, Lamar Jackson at, at, at the Ravens and who, who knows? Because in itself could have a knock-on effect to the Rodgers trade in inverted commas situation, but wait and see. Did I read that right, that the value, the franchise tag is like $33 million for quarterbacks? I thought I read something like that. That is, I don't want to say insulting because it's $33 million, right? But Lamar Jackson getting paid a $33 million almost writes him out of Baltimore. If, if I'm him, I'm like, fuck that. I'm out. He ain't going to play or sign that franchise tag. So I think that... If, I think if it gets to the point where the franchise tag period runs out and the Ravens end up tagging him, I think he's gone at that point. It won't happen immediately. There'll be a holdout and all of that good stuff. But, but eventually, I think that's, you know. That's where they go. Yeah. Interesting. So Frank Reich, and I thought this was super interesting, and I think this has implications for the entire league, but also in Green Bay. So Frank Reich, the head coach of the Panthers now, says that at some point he wants to hand off the play calling to his offensive coordinator or to some other, you know, someone on his coaching staff so he has fresh ideas. Does that, I mean, we want Lafleur to be the head coach and not the offensive coordinator of this team. Does that affect the Packers? Does that become a league-wide trend? Like, what, any thoughts on what that means other than the Panthers are going to do it, Peter? I think it's already a, week, uh, a league-wide Mini mini trend. I think it tends to happen. I mean, you only have to look at Mike McCarthy, right, of the Packers. Eventually, you know, he took a, a year where I forget I forget who who the offensive coordinator was for the Packers at that time. Sometime in the mid twenty tens, can't remember even remember the year. But he took a, a year back from from calling the plays. Now, I, my recollection, and again, I'm doing this totally from memory, which I can't remember anything, um, was that it wasn't a great year in terms of offensive output. But I, but, I, but I also think that that may also be the reason the likes of, for example, Sean Payton take, a, take some time out. Rather than giving up the play-calling duties, they take time out and then come back to reinvigorate themselves. Mike McCarthy, even in Dallas, you know, has had Kellen Moore calling the plays there up until, up until this point. So I, I think we're going to see more and more of that. So yes, I think I think it I think it is a trend. I think it's already there. Will the Packers change what they do, Todd? Will Lafleur hand play calling off to somebody else? No, I don't think so. I think he's uh I think you know he he's a hands-on coach. I don't think he's he, he's more of an action kind of a guy, style coach, but I just don't see him kind of being that I mean, what are you really as a head coach if you're not if you're not really involved in the defense and your offensive coordinator is calling plays, what are you doing other than just managing the game? Leading. You're a game manager. And we know Lafleur's not like a crazy leader, right? Just like he's not a, a presence style, locker room, sideline kind of presence coach. So, no, I don't. Do I think he has to get more creative in his play calling? Fuck yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> But do I think it's going to happen? No. In the case of the Packers, it would probably be more likely to have happened if... If Nathaniel Hackett was there? Yeah, thank right. you. Right. <laughs> My memory is completely gone. Yeah, if, if Hackett was still there. Stenovich, right? Adam, Adam Stenovich is the offensive coordinator. Yeah, like, didn't he move from the offensive line? Yeah. 
So th- I think this is interesting because you you put this in a notes, Todd. So I'd like your thoughts. So he, Sean Payton wants to get rid of the rugby scrum. The we're going to push guys in the back and get fourth and one almost every play. He wants the NFL to outlaw it. Does Todd want to outlaw the rugby scrum? I'm kind of torn. I can kind of see both sides of it. His take is that, you know, if the NFL is showcasing talent and that's the talent is what sells, right? If we're showcasing talent, why are we performing rugby scrums on the football field? Part of me says, well, why doesn't the defense show their talent and try and stop it? That's the other side of it. Is it a very uh, pleasurable play to watch? No. Does it look like rugby? Yes. Uh, is it effective? And would I call it if I could as an offensive coordinator? Fuck yes. And I wish we would have several times this year, by the way, instead of throwing it long down the sideline. But it's interesting. I kind of see it on, on both sides. I just want to thank Sean Payton for listening to the Average Cheese podcast because we've already talked about this. So thank you, Sean. If you're listening today, we appreciate you. We have also talked about outlawing. We didn't call it the rugby scrum, but I'm going to go with that term now. I think it should be outlawed. You're going to not allow people to be hoisted up on kicks and blocking kicks. Then I don't think you can push guys in the back. Peter, if you're the offensive coordinator of the Green Bay Packers and you're going to start calling, like Todd says, you're going to start calling that rugby scrum. What two guys (laughs) do you put behind Aaron Rodgers to make that happen? (laughs) TJ Slayton. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna pick, I'm gonna pick my two Lancaster. My two. <laughs> you bring him back off the shit heap. I'm gonna get two of my biggest guys, whoever oh, they he's are. He's got to be 500 pounds play. by now, right? Because all you gotta do is go forward, right? Like you don't have yeah. to have any. Just gotta be big and strong, and hopefully you don't break Aaron Rodgers in half when you push him in the back. What I'm also likely to do is I'm also likely to run play action from that formation, going back to our Bart Star discussion, and, and throw it to TJ Slayton just for the hell of it. <laughs> Watch him rumble a la BJ Raji in for a score. Dale, if you're going to outlaw and you're going to say you cannot push guys in the back to advance the runner, mm-hmm. then you have to call that, then that has to be not Field just wide. Back, but yeah. Yeah, it can't be three or four yards down. Like they're going to have to outlaw all of that too, because that totally happens. Agree. It happens quite, all the time, and it's happened rest. more and more recently, right? Like I don't it remember has that been happening. It kind of has gotten a little out of control. You see, like big pileups. Yeah, and all of a sudden the, the run and is the refs three or not four blowing yards. the whistle, and it's like they're going for like six or seven more yards. Yep, I think you should outlaw all of that. Okay. So the last thing in the slices is the Aaron Jones contract. So Aaron Jones, I don't want to call it a hometown discount, but I really feel like Aaron Jones has left money on the table a couple times with the Green Bay Packers. And I appreciate you, Aaron, for that. But I don't know. Like, as a person who likes money, I feel like he's kind of kept – he's kind of lost money with the two contracts he signed with the Packers. Does this contract that Aaron Jones just renegotiated – guarantee that he's a Packer for the next two years? Probably yes, because of the increase in the cap next year. It's still a big cap hit in 2024. It's still 17.7 million cap hit in 2024. So it wouldn't surprise me if there's not another renegotiation coming after this season. But I think he probably plays both years. You know, when he signed the previous contract two years ago, they always knew they were going to get to this point because he was never going to play on a 20 million cap hit in in 2023. I think they would have cut him 
right? If he hadn't agreed agreed to the renegotiation, wow. I, I do because because the cap situation is is that way, and they've got to get under the cap by the beginning of the league year, which is Mar- in March. The knock on effect of that for him was that he would have lost money anyway. Right, because it, whilst another team absolutely would have signed him, they wouldn't have signed him for the numbers that he was going to get before he was cut. So I think I think it was a no-brainer for both sides, and I think it works well for both sides. Ty, what does this say for A.J. Dillon's future in Green Bay? Does it change anything? Do the Packers now move on at some when when Dillon's rookie contract is up? Does it have nothing to do with A.J. Dillon? When is it up? After this year? Or? He was a 2020 draft pick. One more year. Plays in twenty three, becomes a free agent after twenty three after the twenty three season. Thank you. To st- to stay past his rookie contract in Green Bay, he's going to have to really show something this season. He didn't have a good season this past season. He kind of actually kind of went down from year two. So in production and the fumbles and all of those things. So I don't know. I think he's got to play his ass off in order to be- remain a Packer after his rookie year contract. Peter, any thoughts on that on AJ Dillon? I agree with that. I, I think he's gone after this year, unless Jones has an unfortunate injury, which means Dylan plays substantially in, in 2023. But I think he's the kind of back that wants to have, be having 20 carries a game, 23 carries a game, 25 carries a game. And he's not going to get that in Green Bay. And I think that are the Packers going to give him a substantial deal after this year? I, I wouldn't have thought so. And, and I would imagine there's a team out there that will give him a nice deal. They'll see him as a Derek Henry type in inverted commas back. And there'll be it only takes one team in free agency to give you decent or big money. And I think there will be a team out there that will take a flyer on Dylan after this season. So I think barring an Aaron Jones injury, I think this is probably Dylan's last last season with the Packers. I mean he has gotten four hundred carries in his career with the Packers. Right, he had that almost that many in college one year. Are the Packers playing him right? No. Should they? I don't think they should. I, I don't think he should get twenty to twenty-five carries in Green Bay. I mean, Aaron Jones is too dynamic to keep the ball out of his hands. I think that when they drafted him, AJ Dillon, I think that they were right there. They said we are going to replace Aaron Jones with AJ Dillon. They must have known he could catch the football, and he can. But I think that they looked at him and said, this ain't it. I also wonder about – I understand that, you know, you're looking for a guy that can predominantly run inside that gives you the counterpoint to the guy that runs outside and all, and all of that kind of thing and a change of pace and, and, all, and all that kind of stuff. But I wonder whether that just adds confusion to the offense. Where, you know, you're taking out Aaron Jones and now you're calling a – different types of plays depending on which back's in there. And maybe the ideal back is to have a second running back who is as close to Aaron Jones as possible. Who is that guy in the draft, Peter? B.J. Robinson. But he's going to be a first-round pick, right? (laughs) He will be a a first-round pick. So the Packers would have to draft him as a first-round pick and, and, okay. They're not going to do that, but yeah. No, right on. Okay, so let's move on. So he has our end-of-the-year awards, team MVP, Ty, do you want to go? Let's go with you first, Todd. The team MVP of the Green Bay Packers this season. Aaron Jones. I think so. What, is, what does he have now? Three 1,000-yard seasons back-to-back-to-back? Is it three in a row or four? No, not three in a row. He, I think it's three out of the last four. Don't tell anybody. I was looking at it at work today. But for the limited amount of – I don't want to get down a rabbit hole, but they clearly didn't utilize him enough this year. 
and to still kind of eke out a thousand yard season is still pretty impressive. The fumbles would be the big and and obviously the biggest fumble that he made all year was at the worst time of the year. But from what he brings to the the locker room, his leadership and I, I thought he had a great performance. Peter, team MVP, two hundred twenty two, twenty three. I'm Jones as well. I bought his fat head. You ever see those stickers that you can stick? Yeah, on the-, the big ones. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, it's in my son's room. It's uh, we got the they're expensive as hell. I mean, we got the twenty five inch one. Nice. Yeah, we got the Jones up there. So, Is it the one where he's falling into yeah. the end zone, grabbing his? No, junk? no, no, no. No, he's like <laughs> dodging someone. It almost looks like the Heisman pose, almost. So. Yeah, that wouldn't be appropriate to have in your son's room. <laughs> yeah, but it'd be a great bad head, and I would buy it. Yeah. Yeah, he's and he's my favorite player. But yeah, I I, I do. I, I really think he he was the MVP. I can't argue with that. But my mind went to the defensive side of the ball and Jair Alexander. As much as I beat up on that dude this year, yeah. I don't know that there was a more valuable player on defense than him. I can't argue with Aaron Jones. He had a great season. It's not it wasn't his best season, but Aaron Jones had. Very similar in his statistics to what two yep. years ago or three years ago when he had the 16. He had the same amount of touchdowns, but he was almost the same amount of yards as he did when he had that spectacular season and whatever that was 20 or whatever. Yeah, you can definitely say Jair too. I, I would not argue about that. Just most valuable. And again, he didn't have his greatest season either, but I don't know what the Packers would have done without him because they would have been a train wreck on defense yeah. with Eric Stokes not playing. Rookie of the year, Peter. I think it's, it's between two. I'm going to go with the guy that gives me most hope for the future and the, and the position that they really needed, and it's Christian Watts. He's really the rookie of half the year, the second the second half of the season. But for me... That's the guy that most excites me based on his rookie performance. Um, so I, I'm gonna, I'll go with Christian Watson, but but there may be another answer to this question. And he did have good numbers in half of a season, right? Now you can't extrapolate it out because that's not fair to do. But if you extrapolate those numbers, it was a banana season. You go back to that first non-catch against the Vikings, you just think, man, what would have happened if he'd have caught that football? I wonder if it would have changed the trajectory of the season. Todd, thoughts? Rookie of the year? Watson. I mean, aside from, you know, I think I might have mentioned this in the other podcast before, but it's worth mentioning again. And I beat up on Watson a ton, like right right out the gates. It's what we do. Yes. But I'm definitely seeing the light. I'm definitely wrong, which I love being wrong because that means the Packers are only better. So I put a lot, like, like that first catch, I know that kind of dictated a lot of the next few games for him and kind of put him in a downward spiral. I put that all on the floor. Like, what are you thinking? Calling that play first play of the year, you're gonna you're gonna throw it out to your rookie like that. That's not cool. If I don't it know. works though, if it works, yeah, it's 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 fucking bananas. But like, look what it did, right? It wrecked that dude for a it minute. It wrecked him, man. It got in his head, and it was just like replayed over and over and over on every network, and like you're just seeing it everywhere. So yeah, he had a lot to deal with right out the gate. But it looks, you know, he. Midway through the season, things started to turn, and you got to see exactly what they saw in him. Is a big dude that has crazy speed, almost like a James Lofton-ish. I'm with you on Christian Watson. My next, if I'm going to not pick Watson, which I am not doing that, 
Christian Watson is the rookie of the year for me. But I think Zach Tom has to get at least a little bit of consideration considering where he got picked in the draft, how valuable he was and how versatile he was on that offensive line as a rookie. I just think he needs a little bit of mention. And I hope going into next year, he gets some reps at center. And let's give him a shot and see if he's the best option out there at center. Because I just think that he is stupid athletic. And I've said it 8 million times on this show. You put an athlete at center that can get out in space and you can change the way you run the football almost immediately. And I think he'd be a huge upgrade from Josh Myers. That's my other guy. I was, I was convinced that Todd was going to say Quay Walker. <laughs> we got a few more categories to go. <laughs> well, and it's I, not I thought, rookie of the year. List. I thought there wasn't enough money going into the swear jar, so I thought I'd bring that up. Yeah, it's coming. There Don't hasn't worry. been. His name be is fair. coming. Okay, so next up is most improved player. So I'm not sure if this is a most improved, but if you look at the beginning well, it's of this. It's got to be a guy. It can't be a rookie, right? Right. I didn't think so. Like, I didn't look at it that way. My guy, zero fucks, Keyshawn Nixon. Now, granted, he didn't get the opportunity to run back kicks until late in the year, but I thought that he improved not only on special teams, but he ended up getting snaps on the defensive side of the ball. And yeah. if you start the season and say Keyshawn Nixon, who we pulled off the shit heap, is going to get snaps on defense and change the game by running back kicks like he did, no one would have thought that. Todd, you got somebody in mind? Same. I mean, there's really no question. I can't even think of anyone else close. I don't think any – like, if it, were, if it weren't for him – There wouldn't no, be a category no most approved? I'd have zero if it weren't for him. <laughs> really. I mean, because I'm thinking of everybody on the field. I'm like, huh? Josh Myers? No. Right. You start going down the positions. You're on read. Yeah. I can't see how it's anybody else unless you picked Amari Rogers, who improved when he went to the Texans. He no. got the one touchdown of his career. <laughs> Maybe Rudy Ford. Yeah. I mean, Rudy Ford also came yeah. off the shit heap and then played snaps on defense and wasn't terrible. But after Nixon started returning kicks, you can't. You can't compare Rudy Ford to Keyshawn Nixon, right? Because yeah. like he changed those games. He yeah. changed the season. Yeah, he put oh. them in a position to start winning games because the offense wasn't all that great. Once that happened, all of a sudden the offense started to click. I feel like this category, Todd, is what you were talking about when you started to mention Quay Walker. So here goes the most disappointing player of 22-23. Is it Quay Walker? Yes, absolutely. And a close second would be Darnell Savage, who got benched, who was a veteran player. I mean, the, the only thing I could say about Quay Walker is like, you could say, well, he's a rookie. It's hard to really hang, you know, the most disappointing tag on him. But Darnell Savage is a returning veteran who just really, really went off the cliff this year and ended up getting benched. Both of them. Okay. Two knuckleheads. They shared it. Shared yeah. award for you. Yes. Peter? Difficult to think of, a, of an individual player. I mean, I, I think that the tight end group was the most disappointing group on the team. Going forwards, it appears to be one of the groups, alongside probably the safety position, where where there's still the most question marks, and it has been for for years. But for me, it's that group. It's the tight end group of players, or the production from the tight end position. Mine is Darnell Savage, Todd. You you nailed it for me, Darnell Savage, with that kind of athletic ability 
and a couple of years experience under your belt, those two things should equate to production on the field, not to two shit heap guys passing you on the depth chart. Guys, not only off the shit heap, but off the shit heap, God, saying that a lot, this year, like yeah. guys that have never been on the roster who picked up the system and were able to play in their first year better than a guy who's been in the system and outshines both of them athletically like nobody's business. Like there is no reason that Darnell Savage should be as bad as he is. I don't understand it. And that whole signing them to his fifth year thing makes me want to punch someone in the face because what? you are stuck with that fucking guy. Yes. Oh yeah. We're, we're stuck with him for another year and that's guaranteed money, Peter. Right. Oh. Yep. yep. Hey, we just handed you $8 million or whatever. And you suck at your job. Oh man. God, I wish I could get that. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you. Darnell Savage. You are most disappointing in my mind. Could have went to a coach, Barry. Could have oh, stuck yeah. it on him too. And maybe it goes on the head coach for not firing him. That's disappointing too. How about Guten fucking Kraus? Who <laughs> hired the coach? That motherfucker. The coach. Throw Murphy in while you're oh, at. Oh, the president who hired the GM. Right. Everybody. <laughs> you were all disappointing. Eight and nine. We don't do that here, yeah. motherfuckers. I'm sorry, I'm cussing for no reason. What a great show. <laughs> so I, I put this in there, Peter, because you are the brains of this operation. I have to put in that the preseason predictions, you nailed them on your champion this year. This is not a Packer thing, but I believe you called the Super Bowl champion this year. Did you also call the Philadelphia Eagles being in it? No, I didn't. Okay. I'd, like to claim, I'd like to claim that I did. Um, we could re-record that episode and I'll claim that I did, but no. <laughs> of course, I was going to, but I got carried away by you two and said it would yeah. be the Packers and the truth. But, but yeah, no, called that. And the MVP, right? But yeah. It's nice to get one right once, once in a while. All right. So a couple of Packer things. Let's talk about this first. So the contract, poof, the, the void contracts today. Adrian Amos, now a free agent. $8 million in dead cap. Dean Lowry, our, again, I don't know who we're going to cuss about. It's going to be Quay Walker and nobody else next year. Dean Lowry, no longer a Packer. $3 million in dead cap. Jerron Reed, Randall Cobb, Mercedes Lewis, Mason Crosby, Bob Tanyan, all gone. Peter, of those guys, if you had, were going to re-sign a guy, do you sign any of those guys back to the roster? Well, here's the issue with this, is that, had they re-signed any of those guys before the contracts voided on Monday, they wouldn't have had those dead cap numbers. So, 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 so now you, you shouldn't, get, right? So, so now you shouldn't. You got this double. You got this double whammy. I would imagine that on that list, that Mason Crosby is the most likely to come back, just because he hasn't. He's still productive as a field goal kicker and an extra point kicker. His kickoffs are something else for discussion. But I would imagine on that list that Crosby would be the most likely to come back at, at a number that the Packers could afford. Todd, anybody on that list that you see that 
Yeah, like, uh, okay, we, we made a mistake. We want you back. The only one I would save, and, and this is only like a maybe, would be, I can't believe I'm saying it, but Mercedes Lewis. And the reason for that is we discussed about how I think the Packers should, or and if the draft works out, they should be drafting a right tackle in the first round. They have to address that at some point. Right. There has to be a a long term solution at right tackle. We can't be playing flip flop for another season. And because of that, if we do have a rookie starting right right tackle, tackle, I think you're going to need Mercedes Lewis. That would be the only one on that list that I would say. And that would be the only reasoning to bring him back. But other than that, nobody. I don't know why the Packers didn't try to do something with Jaron Reed. Now that I see the dead cap number isn't all that high. I don't want to say that he's a great player or even a very good player, but he's a serviceable guy. His dead cap was almost $1.5 million. I wouldn't mind kicking the can one more time on him and seeing what you can do. And I'd like to bring back Dean Lowry just to listen to you cuss all the time. Oh, man. Fill the swear jar. Fill up the swear jar like no other. We'll miss you, Dean Lowry. And you, could, you can make the case, too, that if, if Rodgers does, when, once he comes out of his four days of darkness and decides to come back, which is like two weeks now, right? Like he's still like he's been in it for more than four days. Right. I mean, wonder what that means for Cobb. It's like his guy. And if he wants him, he's going to get him, right? If he says, I'm, I'm coming back, I need Randall Cobb, he's going to get him. I don't have this in the notes, Peter, but there's the Bob McGinn thing on Tyler Dunn's podcast where Bob McGinn is saying that the Packers are fed up and they're done with Aaron Rodgers. Does the... Tanyan, Lewis, Cobb, not being re-signed have anything to do? Do do those two things correlate? Do they correspond? Are they connected in any way? I I, I doubt it. I I think it's probably just coincidence that some of those players happen to be those those players. Okay, last thing I have. So on Twitter, I put out my Packers all-time team because it was somebody asked it on on Twitter, and I answered – and then I reached, I put tweet, tweeted at Peter, and I said, Peter, is this right? And he said, no, you clown. <laughs> totally wrong. <laughs> that's, that's, that's an exaggeration. I've got, to find, I, I've got to find my tweet now. You said that's almost perfect, Dale. I have something like that. <laughs> almost, I exaggerate. That's... <laughs> so let's go to you, Todd. Peter, Peter will look for that tweet that he retweeted at me, called me an idiot. Your Packers all-time quarterback. Bob Rogers, hands down. I don't think it's a question either. Peter, do you agree with us, or or is it going to be Brian Bartlett star or shitbag far? So this is the one that I struggle with. I'll tell you what. When we look at a lot of the other positions, when we look at Don Hudson, when we look at James Lofton, we take into account the fact they played in eras where the ball wasn't thrown as much, it was a lot more difficult to throw the to throw the ball, et cetera, et cetera. And that's why those guys didn't catch 120 passes a season, which is the norm now. But we don't do that with the quarterbacks. We go and look at their numbers and we say, well, his touchdown to interception ratio is this, his passer rating is that. Different eras under different under different rules. I've always been torn on this one, just simply because there's lots of different ways to judge this. If we think that Tom Brady is one of the all-time greats or potentially the greatest quarterback that's ever played, not the most talented, but the greatest that's ever played, we're doing that on the basis that he won seven Super Bowls. 
Buckstar won five championships. You compare that to Favre who won one and Rogers who won one. I think it's difficult. I, I think that Cecil Isbell is one of the greatest passers in Packers history, but only played five years. I really don't have the answer to this one because I, I, go, I go back and forth and whatever. I, I don't have an answer. I really sit on the on the fence at this position because I can't quite get my head round the top quarterback in Packers history is. I'm I'm not as definitive as lots of people are on this one. So uh, one of our listeners, Steve, would totally agree with you if you said Bart Starr. He also said that it's Bart Starr. It depends on what the question is asking, right? I know I said all-time Packer great, right? Does that mean statistically? Does that mean winning-wise? Like th- there's, there's things that go into it, I would agree with you, on the quarterback position more than others because you are the leader of the team most of the time. So we will leave it blank for you, and we'll put a little asterisk. Part <laughs> I'm going to play without a quarterback. That's the yeah. That's the You're going to run the wildcat <laughs> on your team. Todd, the running back for you, the greatest running back of all times in Packer history. There's a lot to choose from. I took Taylor. Peter, this is the one I thought you would say I was wrong on, and you would say Jim Taylor. <laughs> I didn't think Todd would say that, but he does. <laughs> and Todd, I can get down with that. Because they have almost identical statistics. Jim Taylor and Amon Green are almost exact in their, like, rushing yards. They, Amon Green has 8,322 yards in his career. Jim Taylor has 8,207, so 115 more yards. But their average per carry is both 4.5 yards per carry. Taylor has 27 more touchdowns than Amon Green. Taylor had 81 wow. touchdowns. Amon Green had 54. And Taylor was probably playing in an era where there was less games a season than Green, right? I don't he know. He played more games than Amon Green, though, because he played longer for the Packers than Amon oh, Green right. did. Okay. So he played in 118 games. He had 40 less carries than Amon Green, but he averaged the same per carry. So in essentially, if they had had the same amount of carries, they would have had the same amount of yards because they averaged the same – if I, I can't Jim Brown, he probably would have led the NFL several of those years. Great player. I don't know. So I say Amon Green. Todd says Jim Taylor. Peter, you say. I'm happy to split between the two of you. I'm happy for the answer to be Amon Green. Uh, it's quite controversial because Taylor's in the Hall of Fame. Different types of backs, obviously. You know, Taylor was that t- rough, tough, grind out the yards type back. This is two things. One, Amon Green could score from anywhere, right? He had a 98-yard touchdown run against the Broncos back in 2000-whatever. But he was a threat to go all the way on any time he touched the ball. Home run hitter, yeah. The difference for me, it's marginal. Green was a better receiver out of the backfield. So I think Amon Green had something like 350 receptions for the Packers. I don't have the numbers in front of me. I don't know if you've got them. I think Green had something like 350 and Jim, Jimmy Taylor had something like 229, something like that. So about 120 catch, catches difference. And that would be the, the slight difference for me. But I'm splitting hairs. They're great backs. And as Todd alluded to earlier, you know, the Packers have had other great backs, Hall of Fame backs, Clark Kinkle and Johnny Blood and those guys. So happy with Green, but I'll be happy with Taylor as well. John Brockington, I didn't mention, great back. Not quite at that level, but great, great back. The first back in NFL history to have to start his career with three 1,000-yard seasons. And he is number four. John Brockington is number four on the Packers' all-time list for rushing yards. Aaron Jones being three. 
Aaron Jones, if he plays two more years, will not reach Amon Green or Jim Taylor unless he absolutely goes bananas in those years. He's like 3,000 yards behind. Wide receivers, I, I mean, it's hard to argue against two Hall of Famers and two guys who I think are head and shoulders. Peter, is there anybody else in the conversation besides James Lofton and Don Hudson? So the only one for me that would be in the conversation is Sterling, is Sterling Sharp, but, but, but it goes but it goes back to Longevity. what's always the thing with Sterling Sharp. His career was short, relatively short, seven-year career, which he was an all-pro multiple times in that period, broke all those records, et cetera, et cetera. So Sterling Sharp would be number three on that list for me. I'd maybe even go Adams. Three. Monty Adams, okay. Great player, right? How do you argue with that? You can't, and if, and if you had a... If your if your four wide receivers were Lofton, Hudson, Sharp, and Adams, you wouldn't grumble. <laughs> no, you'd be very okay with that, right? Todd is he, is Devontae Adams if he plays another two years, let's say at a hundred catches ish, is he a Hall of Famer? Ooh, gosh, I don't know where he's at as far as catches, but I, I would think that's got to be closing the gap. Now he has no quarterback, so I have no idea. <laughs> right? Happening. Who's going to be throwing the ball in? in nobody. Las there's, Vegas? No, there's nobody there. They're going to run the Wildcat, too, like Peter's up Green Bay offense? Yeah, I, I think that he enters the conversation if he can do that. There's a lot riding on that right now with, with without the Las Vegas Raiders having a quarterback. So Devontae Adams' career numbers right now, he has 769 catches for 9,637 yards, 87 touchdowns. Peter, if he does 200 more catches, puts him almost at 1,000 catches for his career, Let's say he does, he's averaged like 1,500 yards in the last two seasons. That's pretty good. Let's say he goes to 1,200. So he's got 100 catches for 1,200 yards. That puts him at, he's got 1,000 catches, 12,000 yards, and over 110 touchdowns. Is he a Hall of Famer? I think he's close. It's unfortunate because there's going to be whole bunches of wide receivers from this era and from the era just before this who have put up big numbers. So I think the competition is is greater, but I think he's close. Yeah, I do. Tight end, last position on this thing. I said Ron Kramer. I thought you'd be so proud of me, Peter. I went to the Wayback Machine and picked up Ron Kramer. Ron Kramer, you told me, I remember you saying this, he was one of the first tight ends to be a dual-purpose guy, you know, catching the football, not just another glorified tackle, like the third tackle on that team. And as you look there are other guys who have been very good for shorter periods of time. So there's, I, I am a big Jermichael Finley guy and I was hoping if he was going to stay, if he would have stayed healthy, I think he would have been up there in the conversation, not as a dual purpose. Cause he wasn't much of a blocker, but could have been a great tight end. Todd thoughts on, is it Kramer? Is it Jermichael Finley? Who is it? I had Kramer just cause I have his autograph. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> So he's on your all-time team. Yeah, he's got he's wearing a Michigan helmet in, in the photo. This one was the hard, I think, the hardest one because I don't know that we've had a clear Hall of Fame tight end. Um, I, I read somewhere that there's like you have to have played the position for three years in order to be considered that to be like your position when you're comparing it to other. Okay. I don't know. So it can't be like well, Don Hudson played one year. Uh, he played a little bit of tight end, and then you know, but he was. Yeah. Really a receiver, you know, and mm -hmm. growing up when we grew up, at least who we all remember was Paul Kaufman. I think he's in the conversation. I don't know that I that he's even number two, but I put him there based on just growing up and watching him, I guess. I think for me, those two names, 
Ron, Ron Kramer and Paul Kaufman are the top two tight ends in Packers history. I think those are the two two names that jump out. Different types of player. You already mentioned that, that Kramer was that dual purpose, one of the very first dual purpose tight ends. Vince used to call him his 12th man because he felt like he had 12 players with Kramer. And then Kaufman was that great receiving tight end, you know, in the Lynn Dickey days. For me, it's Kramer, but I don't think there's very much between them. Completely different stories. You know, Kramer was the first-round draft pick at the University of Michigan, as Todd said, and number retired at the University of Michigan. And then Kaufman was a walk-on in college, was then an undrafted free agent who went to the Packers, was like the seventh or eighth tight end on the depth chart, was given a number in the 90s because he wasn't going to make the team and all of that, <laughs> and came through to have, you know, one of the best tight end careers in, in Packers history. I'm going to go for Kramer, but if I had to pick two, it would be Kramer and Kaufman. Anything else? No? I think that's it. This was fun. Had a good time yeah. today. I appreciate both of you for that. All right. So thanks for listening to episode 115 of the Average Cheese Podcast, the Brian Bartlett Star episode. Go Pack Go. Go Pack Go. Pack Go. Pack go.